Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the Neural Quantum Processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. Welcome to High Stakes, episode 24. I'm your host, Neil Orfield. You can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS. High Stakes is produced by Mike Lawrence. You can find him on Twitter at AwesomeYo. And our guest today is Sam Schaefer, who you can find on Twitter at Sam Schaefer. That's S-A-M-S-H-A-F-E-R on DraftKings and FanDuel. You've probably seen him at the top of several leaderboards. His username is S Schaefer 11. Sam has five figure wins in DFS in hockey, football, basketball, baseball, tennis, esports, MMA, probably more that he just has not listed on his uh, Twitter profile. Sam has been crushing it in across many different sports. He plays on both FanDuel. He wins on both FanDuel and DraftKings. He wins at the, uh, you know, the biggest contest. He wins in the high stakes contest. Sam has just been crushing DFS and most of his wins have been in the past couple of years, Sam has just been really ramping it up, winning a lot. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Neil. How are you, sir? I'm good. Uh, as, as I was uh, alluding to before the show, I told you this is kind of a gotcha show. I think people recognize that this show, I'm, I'm here to get you. So I got to tell you, your profile says that you're a top 100 uh, DFS player, but I just looked at your Rotor Grinders profile and you are number 101. So yeah, why are you lying to the people here, Sam? Yeah, uh, I know. That's too bad. I, uh, must have fell out of the rank, the one 100 and September was kind of a rough month for me. I didn't uh, really have any high quality uh, banks. So that probably uh, dropped me down a couple rankings, but uh, we'll get it back. Yeah. You, you were in the top 100, the, the last I had checked before today. So he must've just dropped out. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll get back there. We've got uh, NBA back tonight. I see a lot of your big wins are uh, in NBA. Are you excited for NBA season to be starting back up? Yeah, I am. But the weird thing is like NBA is uh, it's probably one of my least favorite sports. And it's also my like most challenging sport. Like it's always irked me the most, um, which is strange, I think, because it's the most predictable sport. I mean, like, you know, a, a player's minutes are, you know, they can project it down to like a T, it seems like. So I don't know. It's just it's been a challenging sport for me to figure out. But I have finally started to pick up some decent wins in it. So yeah, I am excited about NBA being back. Yeah. I mean, I'm just looking at your Roto Runners profile, which again is not necessarily indicative of your actual biggest wins, but uh, a lot of your, your top 10, like six of them are from NBA. Of course that is also, that includes some showdown wins. So who knows if those are actually your most profitable slates, but uh, at least from, from a point standpoint, you got a lot of points from NBA. So looks like you've been doing fairly well and I'm sure you'll get right back into that top 100 uh, I also noticed that you are wearing. Uh, do you do you want to lift your shirt up just one sec? Oh, show me. Yeah. So show your top. Leon, Leon Edwards. Yeah, Leon yeah. Edwards. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is there a nickname for that? For that kick? The the <laughs> fight when? I've heard it a couple of different ways. I've heard of the kick of destiny or the kick uh, kick heard around the world. Some, you know, different and, things like that. And you wear the shirt uh, to recognize Rich Green winning two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> on that site. Is that right? Uh, not quite, although I am I am happy for him. That was that was pretty sweet. Uh, you know, he's again another guy in the community that I always like to root for. But no, I, I took second place in that tournament uh, for 100k. So it was yeah. Uh, it was... I actually I, I put this aside because I was going to show it on the show. This I've got the shirt and I've also got uh, the uh, actual piece of the uh, the octagon. Oh, that's awesome! That's yeah. very cool. Yeah. Do you do a lot of, do you collect a lot of memorabilia from big wins? Um, a little bit, but I wouldn't say a lot necessarily, but like, 
big wins that are like really special to me like that one i do try and collect something from it whether it's like a uh the player's sports card or like that uh that frame you know the piece of the, the mat i asked not only because you have that collectible but also you are a numismatist and i would think that numismatists in general are big collectors uh let's actually start there can you can you tell me a little bit about what that means being a numismatist uh you're yeah. a small business owner tell me about that a little bit yeah, that's that's true. I am a small uh, business owner. I'm a professional numismatist, which means I'm a, a rare coin dealer, basically. So I uh, buy and sell rare coins and currency for a living. I've uh, been doing it full time since 2014. Um, it started out as a hobby for me. Um, I've, I've, uh, my undergrad was in history, so I've always been attracted to things that are old and, and interesting. And uh, so I was working at a, a history museum out of college and that was like the first thing I got into collecting was coins. And um, it started out as a thing where I would, I would buy coins on eBay and like sell them to local shops to like self fund my collection. And then it turned into a side hustle and then it turned into my full-time job. So now I've got a small business, uh, two employees and uh, an an office suite. And it's uh, pretty cool. So yeah, buy and sell rare coins and gold and silver, things like that. Yeah, if, if you're into collectibles, which I kind of am too, I've always been a sports card collector. There, there was a little while where I tried briefly to to buy and sell here and there some coins. I didn't have the money for it at the time when I was most interested in it. I was telling I was telling Sam before the show, my grandpa actually, uh, while he was living, was a coin collector, and uh, I inherited some coins. Sadly, I had to sell them because I did not have any money at the time. Uh, but you know, I I did really enjoy them. I enjoyed them while I had them, looking them up. You know, looking up at the history of the different coins I own. I actually I could see that as being something that I get into. To at some point so i guess it's good to know you maybe you can help me uh buy some coins along Absolutely. the way uh, all right well well beyond that uh beyond that background let's talk about your background more as it relates to dfs a little bit i asked these questions for everybody on the show just get an idea of the kinds of different backgrounds people had and you already said that you were a history major so maybe that will answer some of these questions but i'm still i'll ask i'll ask them uh what kind of background do you have in statistics or probability do you have any formal or informal training um, not a whole lot, actually. That's been something I've had to kind of learn on the go. I did have a, a college class that was called a finite mathematics, and uh, it was a uh, it was a really challenging class. It was actually kind of called a uh, like a GPA killer because it was really really hard to get high grades in this class. And um, finite wasn't totally statistics, but it was like the math behind games almost. So like the like a problem in in finite might be like you know, there's 16 different colors of, of balls inside a vase. If you draw uh, a ball out of the vase, what's the chance that it's a purple ball, you know? So it's, uh, that definitely was the first time where I really got introduced to some of the, uh, the probability that's involved in DFS. And I think, uh, I think back to that class actually quite often of like thinking of, you know, how many different possible combinations, uh, could work, you know, especially on like smaller slates, like showdown or, or tennis, for instance, sometimes tennis is, uh, there might only be well, MMA too. I mean, yeah, MMA, MMA. There's sometimes only 12 fights. So like how many possible combos are there, you know? So that's, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's unique. And it sounds like a really relevant kind of class. Like that's, that seems yeah. directly relevant to DFS and it's kind of game theory related probability mm-hmm. related. So yeah, that's, uh, definitely super interesting i would i would love to go back and retake it now it was a, it was a pain in in the butt at the time but uh yeah i, I think i barely passed it but uh, I, I would love to go back and do it now with uh, the dfs background especially if you can do a pass fail like you don't have to worry about the grade just try and learn yeah that seems yep. like it would be useful uh is that something is that a, a local course where did you go to college locally in uh, indianapolis yeah, uh yeah i went to uh indianapolis uh IUPUI, Indianapolis University, Purdue University, uh, Indianapolis. So. Cool. So, and you and you still live right around there, right? But yeah, I live on the north side of Indiana, Indy suburb. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I guess I don't know the area. I don't know how far that is, but yeah, maybe maybe you can go back and uh, audit the course. Who knows if they let you? Um, all right. Uh, what about uh, in computer programming? Do you have any formal or informal training in computer programming? Uh, not really. Although, again, ironically. That was my first major uh, was computer well, was computer networking. So I did have some classes in that, but it turned out to be that I just I, I originally was like I want to get a degree in something that's going to be like 
very job relevant, but I found out that like, I just did not have a passion for it. Like just because I was like, I liked computers, uh, it didn't necessarily translate to um, being like really proficient at um, programming and, and the different uh, applications, not like, you know, ex editing Excel files and stuff. It really wasn't uh, at the time something that was interesting to me. So I ended up switching out of that. But again, yeah, I did remember programming like some very basic, basic programs. Okay. And so uh, getting into your professional background just a little bit, I mean, we've already alluded, you, you say you've been a numismatist since 2014 or so. Uh, full-time since 2014, yeah. Okay, full-time since 2014. Uh, what about the rest of your professional background Any or, or any related hobbies, anything that you think has helped you in DFS? Um, I mean, I think, I think in some ways being a coin dealer has related a little bit to it because we're always like crunching numbers. Like we're, you know, like foreign coins, for example, have a lot of different, uh, the, the metal content varies in them. So I'm always calculating like the uh, translation between uh, American silverweight versus the different countries um, silverweight. And it can, there's a lot of ratios in numismatics. So uh, that definitely helps. Um, prior to that, I don't know. I was, uh, I was in, uh, I worked at a museum as a historical interpreter. So I did research, but also did like in character. Uh, I worked in like a civil war reenactment type uh, exhibit. You were a reenactor. So, you, you were in character. I was in character. Yep. I played nice. uh, a couple different characters uh, in set in 1863. Uh, so it's pretty cool. I, I played a soldier and also a, uh, southern sympathizer a civilian that was a southern sympathizer so two totally different opposite personalities which is a lot of fun yeah do you still have the costumes i do still have the costumes yeah nice. i actually may go back and volunteer at some point because i really did like that work it was super fulfilling and like the kids will get really into it you know kids come field trips and stuff and and uh always we would drill them with like wooden rifles and stuff and it was a lot of fun nice yeah i'm sure that would be fun for kids yeah it's awesome <laughs> Um, all right, moving on to more DFS stuff. So gotten into your background a little bit. Uh, what about DFS? When approximately when did you start getting involved in DFS and what drew you in? Um, I got involved in DFS around maybe 2015 or 2016. Uh, and it was actually through Yahoo because uh, I was in a uh, um, season long fantasy football uh, Yahoo league that had I'd been in for a number of years. And when DFS like came to Yahoo, it, it said, you know, build your DFS lineup. So it was like, you know, they had different buttons that, that redirected to that. And so I gave it a shot and it was immediately like, I was like hooked on the format. I was like, this is really cool. Like you can build a line, you can build multiple lineups and you can potentially, you know, pay very little and win a lot. Like that was very uh, intriguing to me. So I was hooked. I was hooked right away. Um, I started on Yahoo and then um, gradually went to uh, FanDuel and then DraftKings kind of came third. And now I'm kind of split between FanDuel and DraftKings. I don't really do Yahoo much anymore, although I should. I mean, I hear like a lot of people do it for pretty good ROI. So I actually I didn't know that Yahoo had DFS back in 2016. I, I've been playing on Yahoo for the past few years, but I did not realize that it went back that that far. And I also I mean, I Yahoo for me was the, the first place that I played fantasy sports seriously as far as i remember i know back in the yeah. early 2000 I, I was on yahoo playing uh season-long fantasy and i've been playing there ever since but i did not realize that they uh had dfs product way back in 2016 that's uh it's interesting um yeah, i think maybe it was 2018 i mean maybe a couple of years off but it was it was a while back yeah i can tell you that your Rotor Grinders profile is back in 2016. You're, you've been a member since November of 2016 on Rotor Grinders. So for whatever for whatever that's worth, uh, you've been at least there since 2016. Yeah, so. I was, was going to say, I think that's when I started playing DFS was in 2016. So that would make sense. Yeah. Do you uh, do you like do you use Rotor Tracker or anything like that to kind of track your DFS throughout the years? I have in the past. I haven't used it in a while. I probably should. Um, I try and not stress a whole lot about it because it's still more of an enjoyment thing for me. Sure. Um. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? 
you can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. But yeah, that is an interesting tool that uh, the rotor tracker thing. So I should probably fire it up and see how, how uh, things have gone, especially in recent years where it's been much better. My first several years in DFS were, uh, I mean, I was trying to grind out being a cash game player and that really didn't work out very well for me. I, it just, I, it's hard. I mean, I, to, congratulations to those people who can pull off being successful cash game players, but I mean, you have to win like 70% of slates and that's tough to do. So. Yep. I, I gave up on being a cash game player. I have no idea if I have net uh, long-term profit or loss in cash games. It was never something that I was that serious about, but there, there have been periods where I've decided, you know, maybe I should give this cash thing a shot. And it just has never ended up being something that I've thought was worth it for me. But I could see if that, if that is your focus, uh, I can definitely see how you can find a little bit of an edge there. Um, yeah. But the reason I brought up Rotoshock is because that's, that's how I learned that I was playing DFS back in like 2010 or 2011. I had like a, a few, like just like a couple entries back, way back then uh, that I did not remember that I had even like had an account wow. back then, but apparently I did. Um, all right. So, so you alluded to the fact that I was going to ask you next, if you were a winning player right away, it sounds like you were not a winning player right away. No, I was, I was terrible in the beginning. <laughs> I was definitely not a winning player. Uh, it, it was, it took a long time for me to figure out DFS. Um, yeah. It like the first three years, I, I loved it, but it was super rough. I tried multiple different strategies. Um, and like I said, I was trying to be a cash game player that seemed the most logical to me, but at the same time, tournaments were always more exciting to me. And so I would often lose bankroll uh, chasing tournaments um, instead of like really focusing on cash games. Um, I also found like, I didn't, like cash games are, are kind of boring because you really, you play the chalk and it's kind of like the same thing every night and you don't really get to like creativity doesn't pay uh, a whole lot like it does in, in GPP. So yeah, it didn't work out real great for me. I tried like using a, what's called the Martingale strategy where you, uh, you basically, um, you know, if you bet uh, $10 the first night and you lose, then you bet like $25 the next night so that it covers your loss and you're still profitable. And you just keep that chain going and going. Now it gets more expensive each night, but as long as you start with a low enough amount in theory, you know, you're, you're going to keep resetting the chain and always be positive. But uh, it just, I, again, I've never heard of the, the Martin Gale theory. What happens if you win with the $10 the first night? Then you go back to playing 10 again. Oh, you just play the same amount every night. You, you, what if you win two nights in a row, ten dollars? Same thing. You that okay. you, you play your base amount unless you lose, and then you increase it. Interesting. Huh. So, if in theory you will always win money with that, as long as you you know continue to play the chain. But if you lose like you know six nights in a row, it can get pretty expensive if you start with like a much higher amount. Yeah, because you have to cover your losses, entry fees, and profit. So right. it's not just doubling, it's, it's more than that. So starting with 10 can turn into betting 500 the fifth night. So Right. Yeah, so if you, if you have a big enough bankroll and you're a good enough player, in theory, you should be able to cover it. But there's always that risk of, you know, maybe you just don't win for 10 nights in a row. And if you don't have the bankroll to cover it, you can, yeah, it can, it can get away Correct. from you. Yeah. Quickly. And basically the, the thing is you can either you either accept your loss at some point and you jump off and restart the chain or you, you play through it. But uh, it, it does get to be really, really nerve wracking when you're on a losing streak. Uh, so it really wasn't, uh, it ended up not being for me, but um, there are people that I think are successful using the Martingale's chains. That, that's the name for the mathematical term. So that's yeah, an interesting way to play cash games. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. In which sport or sports do you think you have the biggest edge? Um, I would say my biggest edge is probably in hockey and tennis. Uh, hockey because it's my favorite sport personally. Uh, I think my Roto Grinders ranking is also highest on hockey. Um, 
And you are 11th out of 579 on the NHL leaderboard. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So my ranking actually increased a little bit. Yeah. Uh, NHL is definitely like, that's like my passionate sport. So I, it's just one of those that I have more intuition in uh, and I just have a, a deeper understanding of the sport. So I definitely feel like I have an edge in just my knowledge of that sport. And as far as tennis goes, it's been a bit of a learn as I go thing because I just started playing it this year, but I, I like tennis as a sport too. Um, but there's just not a lot of, pro players that are really dabbling in that field like Rinpak plays tennis sometimes but in big t44 uh he's another top 10 player that plays tennis but there's not a lot of um of the big players that play tennis so uh i do feel like i'm i'm a shark in a in a pond of fish sometimes in tennis so interesting yeah, I, I, don't, I, I think that will change at some point as more people like gravitate towards it because it's it's literally the same concept as a, a MMA. It's very binary. You know, you're you're picking a winner or a loser. If you pick the loser, you're, you're done. You're here. Right. You have to have pick six out of six winners. Yeah, and there's that obvious negative correlation. Is tennis a sport where you would ever stack two players against who are playing against each other? Rarely, but you, just like in MMA, you know, occasionally. You might, especially if it's a short slate, um, you know, sometimes tennis, uh, there are slates in tennis where it's, uh, there's only eight matches and you have to pick six players. So there's right. really not a big field of players to pick from. And those, that is a case where sometimes picking uh, two players from the same match is viable. If it's a match that, you know, goes three to five sets and there's a lot of, um, you know, aces and things like that in there. So yeah, it's sometimes viable. I'd imagine you run into a lot of duplicated winners then. There are a lot of dupes in tennis, uh, but in the big slates, like during the grand slams, when there's 30 matches in one day, that's usually not so much of an issue. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple of unique wins this year. I had uh, the first day of Wimbledon uh, and then also the first day of the U S open, uh, which is pretty exciting. I, I won first place in Wimbledon and I guess it was second place in the U S open. So with unique lineups, so it was pretty was, neat. Were, were those big wins? Like how, how, how much of the prize kind of payouts for tennis? Oh, they were actually pretty decent for those. Wimbledon was 30 K and uh, the U S open was 50 K to first, but I won second, which was uh 20 K. So okay. not so, yeah. bad for tennis, but which yeah. is kind of a fringe sport. Yeah. I guess, I guess if they have prize pools that big enough, you're probably right that people will, will start gravitating gravitating towards them eventually because those are you know big enough prize pools to yeah they, they absolutely are i mean even on even on average days the prize pool is usually 10k so it's not not too bad okay uh in your uh twitter profile you call yourself a dfs semi-pro i'm curious what what does that mean to you to be a semi-pro and what does it mean to be a pro yeah i guess um i look at like like Alex Baker as being a pro, you know, like somebody that does it full time for a living. Uh, okay. that, that's kind of, I, I think if you're doing it as your job, then, then you're a pro, uh, just like any other profession. Like I'm a professional coin dealer because that's what I do for a living. So yeah. I think that's my definition of it. Although, you know, I don't know that it is kind of hard to define because there are people that have day jobs and are also like winning all the time. So Right. I don't know. It is a little hard to define. Yeah, no, it, it certainly is. Your, your definition is actually in line with my definition. I called myself a DFS pro for the 11 months after I quit my job as a lawyer. And before I started at Stochastic, I, I was calling myself a DFS pro because it was my only source of income. But then once I started at Stochastic again, I said, I'm no longer a pro because it's not my primary source of income. Uh, so yeah, I think uh, our, our definitions are in line there. Um, all right, sure. let's, Let's jump in and talk a little bit of process. I'll just uh, I'll start by asking you some of my boilerplate questions that I ask everybody who comes on the show. Uh, Started with, do you do any any simulations or use simulations from outside sources as part of your process? Um, I pretty much stick to using the stochastic tools. Um, I sometimes use uh, other resources, but. Uh, yeah, most I don't like build any of my own simulations. I, I use the uh, the um, fantasy cruncher um, with the yeah. stochastic projections typically. Okay, 
And do you use like the boom bus tool and stuff like that? That would be an example of a tool that uses simulations. You know, you're not running. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do like the boom bus tool. Yeah. I use, I use some of the tools on, on stochastic. I guess I probably don't use all of them. I probably should use more of them. Uh, but yeah, the boom bus tools is super good, uh, especially for NBA. That's been useful for me. That was one of the things that kind of turned um, and gave me a little bit more of an edge in NBA uh, was using that. Um, top stacks tools are also pretty useful. Um, yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there's just a lot of tools on, in the stochastic suite. So yeah, it's, uh, it's just, I can't imagine playing DFS without it. Yeah. I mean, you, you say that you should use more of the tools and I'll just say, I work at the site and I don't use all of the tools that are available. I think that, you know, if you're, if you're having success, just finding the tools that work for you and your process, I think that makes sense. So, uh, yeah, for me, that would be like the boom bust, the top stacks for NFL, uh, and then just the projections and fantasy cruncher. And generally that's all that I need, uh, that I found I need for most sports. Uh, and you say right. that you, you do use fantasy cruncher. Yeah. Fantasy cruncher is really good. I've used, uh, a couple of the other, um, like optimizers, know, uh, al- uh, optimizers. Yeah. I've, I've used uh, several others, but I just have found, I mean, fantasy cruncher is just so sophisticated that the amount of different, uh, tools inside of it, um, from everything from building stacks to making groups to randomization. I mean, it's just, there's a lot you can do with fantasy cruncher. I I can't imagine. um, I mean, they're in, they're still adding stuff to it. Uh, They just added for NHL, um, you know, uh, how exposed you, do you want to be to uh, certain uh, combinations of stacks? Like, and that's really cool. So interesting. Yeah, so like how many, what percent of uh, Maple Leafs versus Canadians uh, stacks do I want? You know, and that, that's even more sophisticated than was available last year. So that's pretty cool. I was into it, but he, he claims it's more sophisticated than just um, in traditional like Vegas odd style uh, okay. projections. Um, so I do use that sometimes, and that has helped as well. Um, he definitely does seem to find some edge in in his uh, special number. I can't remember what it's called again. There's a name for it. Okay. For, for just for MLB, you say? For MLB. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but you, so you don't do any, any projections of your own. You're using stochastics or uh, occupies projections. Yeah. I mean, I sometimes edit them, but sure. I don't, uh, I don't use my, I don't build my own. I don't go through and actually set my own, uh, every time but like i do absolutely um boost projection sometimes to get more players that i want okay well that's that's probably pretty normal it sounds like your approach is pretty similar to mine you use the projections as a baseline because you know you gotta you gotta trust the tools and you gotta trust people doing them but then sometimes using the projections don't get you to exactly the exposure levels you like and you gotta go in and you know make little adjustments here yourself do you do what i do or is so i make like pretty incremental adjustments to the projections because i don't want to like give a, give a player a 10 point projection and suddenly go from getting zero to getting 70 percent do you do kind of the same thing where it's just like incremental projection crunch try again yeah, you kind of have to because the problem is, yeah, if you do too much, like if you really want to force some input, like 50 points, it screws everything up. You'll like on the showdown slates, you know, there's always like you got your fullbacks and your tight end threes. Those guys that always end up being the guy you need to have. Yeah. Like if you really crank their projections up, you're going to end up with some awful lineups that have like two or three of those guys in there. So yeah. Yeah, you do really have to use incremental um, adjustments, I feel like, or it screws the lineups up. Yeah, for sure. Hey guys, let me take a minute away from this conversation with Sam Schaefer to tell you about our sponsor, Odd Shopper. Make your best bets in 30 seconds or less with Odd Shopper. With hundreds of bets featured daily, Odd Shopper gives you the edge you need betting player props and game lines across all sports. Sign up for free now via the link in the video description below to gain access to our proprietary data, which will help you make your best bets. With expected win percentages and ROIs included, Odd Shopper uses the same DFS projections we use here at Stochastic to filter out the best bets available. Odd Shopper also features a parlay builder with optimized parlays and an arbitrage tool that identifies risk-free guaranteed profit bets that you can make across sportsbooks. Uh, what about ownership projections? Do you, do you do anything on your own as far as ownership projections go? Nope. I pretty much rely on the Stochastic uh, 
For the best TV viewing experience, witness the coziest maroons, the most vibrant and brightest moons, the eeriest and darkest tombs, and radiant and vivid hues in any type of room with the Neo QLED and OLED TVs by Samsung. We're supposed to say Samsung, but that didn't rhyme, so <laughs> you're welcome. Samsung, more wow than ever. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Uh, um, ownership, or I guess it's the, uh, it might be through Fantasy Cruncher Pro that those come from i'm not sure i believe those are still coming from stochastic oh, okay stochastic. I'm, I'm actually not 100 but i'm fairly certain that the ones that are in fantasy cruncher pro are the same as they're, they're the stochastic uh, ownership projections um, okay yeah that, that's what i use as well um and then just uh, along those lines how much does ownership play a role for you in creating your lineups um a fair bit um yeah a fair bit i mean it's, to find the edge oftentimes you do it to find guys that are low owned and uh you know it would be hard it'd be really hard for me to build lineups without having those ownership projections um and also it gives an idea of like who the chalk plays are and and sometimes you know you need to respect that a little bit like if a player's 50 percent owned you know it's gonna be pretty risky to get like 10 percent of them unless i'm really um convicted that uh you know this is a bad play so yeah. Would would you just would you call yourself an exploitative player, meaning that you're trying to find places where the field is getting it wrong and and go you know ab- above the field or below the field on certain players, uh, even more so than maybe you think a player will be optimal? Do you do you try to exploit mistakes that the field is making? Absolutely, yeah. I think that's that's definitely the approach. Um, yeah, I'm always looking to find the edge that way. There's always there's always certain holes that uh, that people you know leave out then they kind of overlook so uh although you know like mlb it's interesting because i've like i alex wrote an article a while back about uh you know range of outcomes like with pitchers i used to always try and find low owned pitchers and i kind of found that that was not helping me because like the range of outcomes for those really good pitchers is pretty limited like they're most of the time going to have a really good showing so um, sticking with them and then using uh, more randomized batters is going to give a better, uh, a better outcome typically. So, yeah, that seems to be a common thing with pros and MLB is kind of eat the chalk at pitcher and get different at, at in your stacks. Yeah. yeah. Like that's generally it, your that's, approach. That's the, I think that's the right approach. And I tried to get away from that for a while and it really wasn't helping me. Like every now and then, you know, you do get like a 1% pitcher that ends up being really good. But sometimes it doesn't matter. You know, you get that one percent pitcher that gets 50 and then it doesn't matter because Garrett Cole got 65 and 40 percent of the field owns it. So yeah. other FanDuel score in there, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, obviously talking FanDuel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. That That is definitely true. Yeah, the, the bigger thing with pitching where you can sometimes take advantage of mistakes is if the chalk just like majorly fails, then you can have a pretty big advantage if you're not on the chalk. But in general, it seems that, uh, you know, most plays, most pros play that same way, where it's just eat the chalk, get different at, uh, in the stacks and you're going to set yourself up to win, uh, or, or be in contention to win pretty, uh, frequently. Um, yep. speaking, speaking of, uh, MLB, let's talk about process for like certain sports, just a little bit for MLB, how long before the game's locked, do you typically get started working on a given MLB slate? I, 
I'm typically I give myself an hour. That's what I really like is I like that kind of that like what I call crunch time, you know, is, is an hour before lock. Um, sometimes I'll give myself a little more time, but I kind of like to, I don't want to give myself too much time because um, news is important and news often comes out close to when the game starts. So things yeah. can change in the last half hour. So especially with NBA, like sometimes in the last like 10 minutes before lock, it's, you know, that's when the time it matters most. So I don't, I don't know, maybe some people give themselves like a lot more time, but I'm usually around an hour with MLB. Okay. And, and is it similar for NBA? I mean, because NBA is so news based and having to adjust late to whatever the starting lineup is, or, you know, players being out with injuries, do you start your process for NBA pretty late as well? Um, sometimes, I mean, again, I, I try and start an hour before, but I really, am tuned in like a half hour before and then also a half hour later like i love that the uh the show now uh the live before lock goes uh a half hour later or at least it did last season because oftentimes that's when the edge really starts to come in is when these uh games that are starting a little bit later have uh, they announce the starting lineups and and oftentimes it's different than projected so right. adjusting the plays yeah and also using late swap demise has been important too uh nba that's another thing i don't like about it but it is what it is you gotta have to like stick with it all night and like constantly be uh on the watch for changes um which is why there's that debate between uh whether there should be uh swap or not and i guess i am in favor of swap in nba but some people are, are not. They'd rather just have it be locked and and over with. I was uh, I was just complaining yesterday, not you know complaining or just I, I was saying I don't think I don't feel like I'm totally ready for NBA season to come back because it is such a grind relative to every other sport. I feel like it's you know it's MLB. You can show up 20 minutes before the slate locks and you yep. can make your lineups just fine. NBA, you do need to be a little bit more tuned in. Um, you're still obviously you can just use the projections and you can crunch based on the projections, but I still think that it's helpful to kind of know a player's range of outcomes, know that, you know, this player we're projecting him for 25 minutes, but he could play anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, that kind of thing. It's really uh, useful to have those nuggets. And then, as you said, after lock, so much goes into after lock, the, the late swaps and, you know, switching things after things change after lock. And, you know, if you're not tuned in, you might not know like, oh, this, this starting lineup is different than we were expecting. There, there have been right. there are times in the past where I'm like, I see the starting lineup come out and I'm like, wait, is this the starting lineup that we thought was coming out? I don't remember if this player was in the projected starting lineup. So you really do need to be tuned in for NBA. Uh, so, so during NBA season, you're, uh, it sounds like you're at your computer more often trying to uh, be ready for late swaps and contingencies. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm totally with you. It's like, a, it's, it's a grind. Yeah, uh, that's what I, I least like about it is it's just so it's such a grind. MLB is I love it. It's like it's a it's MLBs are is a like relaxing sport to me almost. It's like very cathartic. Like it's yeah. just you lock in and then you just sit back and, and watch the games pretty much. Yeah, okay, you know, like the Angels or you know, like uh the Dodgers sometimes like these Pacific uh teams will, you know, have lineup adjustments, but pretty basic i mean it you can kind of sit back and just enjoy it and just have the sweat and not be also trying to late swap demise every half hour <laughs> so are, are you someone who sweats the games after uh, after the last lock are you still watching you know paying, paying attention tracking the games oh yeah absolutely i i couldn't have it any other way i'm i'm a huge yeah i love i love the sweat i'm all about the sweat me too. I, I don't understand. Like, why would you, I guess, I mean, I do kind of understand why you would do it without the sweat, but I love the sweat too. It's part of, part of the enjoyment for me. It's just Absolutely. watching things play out, you know, play by play. I, I really, if I'm, if I'm able, I'm watching literally play by play, enjoying the game throughout. And I, I have no idea if there's any edge in doing that. Maybe you pick up thing, little things here or there, but for me, it's just mostly enjoyment. Uh, along yeah. those lines. Go ahead. Do you have, do you have no, I was gonna say, yeah, absolutely. I can't imagine it any other way. Like that is the fun of it. And like, for me, I, I, well, the reason why I gravitated so easily to DFS was because I've always been a sports fan. Um, and this just gives me more of an excuse to be like a deeper sports fan. Like I have 
an excuse to watch, you know, like a Los Angeles Kings and Phoenix Coyotes game that I have like no real rooting interest in, but I can right. be super interested in it because I'm, you know, for sweating purposes. So I love it. Yeah. I mean, me too. It's uh, exactly. It's, uh, it gives you an excuse to just enjoy, just watch football all day. Hey, this is my job watching football. Sorry. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's fun for me as well. Uh, one talking point that has come up on shows has been um, the guy chess is okay. A former DFS pro uh, said that he played 80 hours per week playing DFS or work working on his DFS lineups. He would spend 80 hours per week. I'm curious uh, where you are at relative to that number. Do you think you spend anywhere near 80 hours per week uh, and, you know, in- include whatever you want in that work? Yeah, I don't think it'd be 80 hours a week. Um, mine might be closer to like 25 to 30. Uh, I don't. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, I mean, well, I mean, again, for pro players, I can totally see it, you know, where it is like a profession, like doing as much as you possibly can. But I also think you can kind of overkill it sometimes too. Um, you know, sometimes it's, I, I've done that before. Like I've way overanalyzed a slate and, uh, I'm like, I'm like, geez, my lineups are like way too complex. Like I have way, I've, I've tried to get to everybody and it's made my lineups not good because of that. Right. So, yeah, no, it's yeah. A, and I, I mean, I, I've said this before on shows, I think the 80 hours per week, it maybe makes, makes more sense too. If you are an originator, if you are creating your own tools, your own projections, that kind of stuff. And guys like you and me, we're, we're using projections that, you know, stochastic is providing for us. Uh, so that kind of, they, they do a lot of the legwork for us. So not as necessary right. to be doing 80 hours per week, but yeah, I, I still think I probably put in, you know, if you, if you count watching the games, tracking the games, then it's obviously a lot more. If you just count right. pre-lock stuff, it's a lot, uh, you know, probably an hour a day pre-lock, two hours a day, maybe maybe three, some, depending on the sport. So I guess it depends too, but uh, definitely nowhere near 80 hours, unless you count the post-lock stuff and paying attention, then maybe it gets uh, a little bit closer, but certainly not 80 hours because yeah. we, don't have to, we don't have to do all that legwork. So I guess uh, we are lucky in that sense. Um, yeah. So you, you've had a lot of success, as I said at the beginning of the show, a lot of different sports, but also in different stakes. So some of your biggest wins have been in like the 555, some of the higher dollar stuff. Uh, does your approach change drastically from one contest to another in terms of field size? Um, it depends, but yeah, probably um, when I'm playing the higher stakes contest, I typically don't like max center those. Those are, are dart throws for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm almost building them more like a cash game. Like I really focus on which players I'm putting in there. I'm really trying to be deliberate uh, with those, uh, the 555s. Are you, are you hand building those? Yes. Yeah, typically. Um, Occasionally I do optimize like uh, one of my biggest wins 400 K was I entered one lineup in the 777 and I just said, I'm going to let whatever my top crunch is on this lineup and just go for it. And it was like an absolute just. 325 points like just what, crazy. What, sport, what sport is this uh mlb yeah this okay. is an mlb yeah. 325 point mlb lineup it was insane it wow. was it was it, jared wall it was a dual grand slam uh albies and jared walsh both had grand slams that's insane so it was it my margin of victory was like 40 points wow over the second place player it was wild and that's again cool. just that just happened to be the top crunch. And I was using probably like 50% randomness, maybe even more. So I don't know. It's crazy. Was that a FanDuel or DraftKings? Uh, FanDuel. I was assuming that based on that score, you don't really see that high scores on DraftKings. Um, So do you do, uh, do you remember what kind of, was it a stack? Was it like a, uh, four four stack or something like that, or do you not do that in the higher stakes? Four three ones, yeah. I want okay. I want I run four three ones in MLB typically. Um, I have one on four fours before, but I, it's it's just so hard. I mean, with four fours, they most nights I feel like it doesn't work out. Um, but occasionally you do. You can really slam with a four four. But yeah, four three ones are where I run. Uh, okay. It depends on the slate, though. Obviously, like. Um, some of these playoff slates that I've played, I've just done a four-man stack, and that's it. Like, and I've let the other four players fall. However, the- because it's so so playoff, it will be uh, fewer teams involved. Exactly. There's, I yeah. feel like there's a much greater range of outcomes, uh, and it could be 
a not a four three one that ends up being what's needed. It could be four two two or something like that. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. The smaller the slate, the more likely I am to go to smaller stacks. Just use a primary stack with no secondary stack, that kind of thing, and let the rest fall as it may. Uh, for for yeah. a really small slate, do you ever let your pitcher go against your batters? Yes. Yep. I think there's a lot of edge in doing that in allowing the, the batters to go against uh, the pit, same pitcher. Yeah. Around like what what kind of slate size do you start doing that? Like, would you do that ever on like a five game slate or does that be small? Uh, yeah, I, I probably would. I mean, I always I always allow like up to two batters against oh, wow. the same pitcher. Yeah. Okay. But if you're doing a four three one, you're not gonna run into two anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. But so, but, on, but like on DraftKings, uh, okay. you know, I do allow allow that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's not something that I typically allow on a bigger slate. That's something that I uh, adjust to on a smaller slate. I had never really thought about doing it on a full size slate, but yeah, I suppose most people are not allowing that. So I guess maybe you can at least come to more unique lineups if you do something like that. Uh, you know, if the For pitcher sure. has a great game and gives up two home runs, two two solo shots to one batter, then yeah, you're really setting yourself up for success exactly yeah and that's that has worked out for me before you're going to be very unique if you have a lineup like that for sure um all right well we, we've got a few listener questions and then we'll close out you can tell me about uh your favorite win or, or favorite wins if you have multiple in dfs but first a few listener questions liam murphy aka uh, chess liam on twitter asked how do we beat Uticao for a milli do you have an opinion on how we can beat Uticao for a milli <laughs> I don't know about that. I've, uh, you know, the Millie Makers one that I've not been able to solve yet. So uh, I don't have a great answer to that one. Yeah. The way things are trending, I don't think anybody's ever going to beat Uticao again. I think he's going to be the only Millie Maker winner from from now until eternity. He's just been he, he's won Millie Makers the past two weeks. Is the reason Liam okay. asked that question in, in the higher gotcha. states uh, in NFL? Are, are you playing NFL these days? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love NFL. Although it's I've had kind of a bad start to NFL this season, which is really frustrating. Uh so hopefully we'll pull it together. But uh yeah, I don't know. Um I love NFL. It's one of my favorite sports. And obviously the prize pools are huge, so it's unavoidable to uh, want to get into that. Yeah, this is this is my second year in a row that I have been struggling with NFL main slates. Used to be my my best sport uh, the the previous couple of years, but this this year and last year I've struggled with the NFL main slates. But then I had made up for it on Showdown, so uh, it's kind of right. saving me. But yeah, it's been it's been rough out there. I think uh, the fields are maybe getting sharper on main slates. I don't know, or maybe it just the field sizes are so big that you kind of need to get pretty lucky to win money, even if you are good at NFL main slates. Uh, but I'm in the same yeah. boat as you. It's also been a little weird because like there's been a couple weeks where like crazy game stacks have been the only way to go. Yeah. And that's kind of an outlier. I mean, like I feel like Alex is saying that that's not actually that common. But right. yeah, we had two weeks in a row where the only way to win was a full onslaught game stack. Yeah. So, I don't know kind of frustrating yeah. especially because they were uh kind of chalky at least this last one was kind of a chalky game so it was like i was off it a little bit just because so many people were on it and then of course it goes to the 99th percentile outcome for those teams uh so yeah i'm, right. I'm with you it's been a little bit unique and a little bit frustrating uh but we'll pick it up we'll, we'll get one before the season is that well for sure yeah the good guys um, all right. Well, since you play NFL, then I can ask you Matthew Holderness's question, and you might have no idea what the reference is here. He says, does he also believe it will eventually be Jamichael Hasty season? Uh, and he says, if not convince him, do you have any idea what he's referring to? Uh, I know you should, it's just about me. So it's, uh, the reason he's asking this question is because, uh, I, I am a guest on the theory of DFS podcast with Jordan Cooper. And there were a couple times last year. So we, we go over our lineups a little bit. And there were a couple times last year where I played like five to 8% of Jamichael hasty in my lineups when he was like the backup running back. It might've just been one week, even, uh, where he was the backup running back for the Niners and they were playing like the lions or some atrocious run defense. And I was like, I think that there's a chance that they don't go to the starting running back who everybody else is going to play. And I think that Jamichael, Jamichael AST could be more involved or there could be an injury. There are a lot of ways to, you know, get a lot of leverage on a lot of the field by playing the backup. And then of course he didn't do anything. And I looked like an idiot, uh, but we, we talked about it on the show a little bit. So kind of a running joke that I'm just a huge believer in Jamichael hasty. And of course we did just see him last week score a long touchdown. So maybe it finally is Jamichael hasty season. Uh, do, do you believe? 
Uh, yeah, like on that note, I will say uh, why not? Because like I'm the same way with um, like I <laughs> I have certain players that I just have this like irrational belief in like and and they burn me like over and over again but i keep thinking this is gonna be the week like akeem grant is one of those players for me like i have burned myself so many times thinking like this is the week where he's gonna get the 80 yard bomb and like he gets like three points (laughs) it's actually such a it's such a running joke for me that my employee bought me a signed hakeem grant uh little mini helmet but imagine if you off. didn't play him and then Hakeem Grant has two touchdowns for 100 yards. Like, how mad would you be if, if you oh, didn't play it, him? Oh, he did in a showdown once, and it, and it just it made me so mad. Yeah. Because everybody had him, I assume, or he was, you know, yeah, at least well, he glad. was, yeah, he was owned enough, and I didn't have that much of him, and it just was really frustrating. Yeah. That's, uh, I ha- I've had the frustration of, I don't know if it was the same week, but I recommended both uh, Juju on a showdown slate and of course he had eight targets and did nothing with them and then paris gamble i was like he, he plays every play he's going to be four percent owned even though he's running every route and he got like zero he got like three fantasy points that game and then of course this week he scores uh 17 or something what it would have yeah. crushed a showdown slate so i i understand that frustration with yeah. players not doing it when you need them to do it um all right we have just one one final question from an audience member jacob winkoop asks what is it he wishes he would have learned quicker in playing single entry, higher dollar entry tournaments? Single entry, higher dollar tournaments. Um, or just any general advice for. Yeah. Entry. Yeah. Um, I think probably what took me the longest time to kind of realize was to like embracing the chaos, like um, having the courage to, to do, you know, outlier things and like trust that there's going to be um, games that don't go the way that they're projected to go and having the courage to um, be on some players that people aren't going to be on. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is just the courage to do, to, to do sometimes things that are kind of illogical. Yeah. If you mix in a few illogical decisions with an otherwise logical lineup, uh, you're going to be in a good spot a lot of the time. I think that's uh, yeah. generally good advice for for GPPs in general. And then single entry, maybe even more so, because a lot of people are just playing the chalk and playing their cash lineups. And you do something that's exactly. a little bit different, you find a pretty big edge pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In single entries, you will. You, you don't need to get as unique in single entries to, to bank one. And uh, yeah, so for sure. Nice. All right. Well, well, that is uh, all of my other questions for you, but I'm, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to close the show out how I closed out every uh, episode, which is asking you about your favorite DFS win or win celebration. Uh, and if you have multiple, you know, you can, you can tell me about a couple if you want to. Uh, no, there's one that stands out above all others. And it's, it is the most uh, recent big one I got, which was the uh, Leon Edwards uh, kick heard around the world or kick of destiny. Uh, against uh, Usman in uh, UFC 278. So I'm like literally wearing the shirt. Uh, It was that special to me. Uh, It was just, I mean, it was a hundred thousand dollar win. So that, that obviously added to it, but it was the fact that going into that, you know, I'd done the math before the fight began and I was like, Oh my God, if he wins, I'm going to win a hundred grand. And it was just like, I mean, that, that is the ultimate sweat is watching an MMA fight, knowing that if this player wins, you're going to win hundred grand. And if he doesn't, you're not going to win hundred grand. That is, that is as intense of a sweat as it gets. I had been there before, um, in a, in a fight night, uh, and my guy got knocked out. Um, and I'm, I cannot remember who it was now. Um, it might come to me. But uh, so I had already this nightmare vision of of uh, Leon getting knocked out like right away. But yeah. uh, and he was the underdog, as I recall. He was, oh, he pretty, was big, pretty big the underdog. underdog. And, and, and what was so special about it is for the whole fight, he really I mean, he showed some flash every now and then. And he did get a submission on Usman early, but he was clearly going to lose the decision. There was no question about it. And with 50 seconds left. Uh, he lands the perfect leg kick and knocks Usman it, out. And it was in the third round. It was in the, the last fi- it was in the, the fifth, fifth round. round. It was a five round fight. So it was, it I was didn't a realize it was fight. that close to the end. 
it was yeah that's what made it so epic they were they were literally i mean um joe rogan and and cormier were they he said we we're writing his obituary they were saying you know he, he he might as well just get the decision you know and then at least he you know he stayed in the fight for the whole time and john annick says but that is not the cloth from which he is cut and then bam the leg kick hits right as <laughs> he said that cool. oh my gosh and just uh the emotion of it because it was one of those things where like it was just that the whole mentality of, of never giving up, like staying with something till the end, like just just fighting it out. You know, there was it was a very symbolic win, yeah, of, of, of about perseverance and like his post game interview. You know, Leon Edwards um, comes from the slums of Birmingham. He he was uh, you know rags to riches story. You yeah. know, he's he's saying like, look at me now, like. I grew up in a, in a shack. Look at me now, champion of the world, just super, super emotional. Yeah. And, and for, for people who don't follow MMA, it was also for, for you, like if he lost that fight, a bunch of other people who had Usman would have jumped ahead of you. So it was basically going to be, you're going to win a hundred thousand dollars or you're winning. You're maybe losing on the slate. Like you're I would have lost money. money. You would have yep. lost money overall. So it's just like entirely like all or nothing, hundred thousand or losing money on the slate. So that one kick with 50, like that's so improbable at that point. I wonder what his, his odds of winning the fight at that point are probably 5%. Yeah, it was, I, I think they actually cut off the betting. Uh, but yeah, somebody told me it was like insurmountable odds and uh, yeah, it was just such an intense sweat. I mean, I was just like, my heart was pounding the entire time and it was just when he hit that, it's too bad. I didn't like, I was too nervous to like take a video reaction, uh, yeah. but it would have been. I was just like, a, there was a lot of profanity, and just like I could not believe it. I was just like pacing around in circles, like you've got to be kidding me! Oh my god! Oh my god! Like, and that's what their reaction was too. Yeah. Joe Rogan was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god!" Yeah, that was just absolutely insane. That is a that's a great story. That's a really fun way to win. Just like especially when you are coming from behind, where, where you're the underdog in that scenario. You know, sometimes it's fun to be you know the the favorite and then watch it play out and you win. That's cool. But like being the underdog going in and watching it play out in your favor for once, uh, that's got to be pretty fun. For from now on, Leon is 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 he's like one of my favorite fighters. He he's he's earned a special place in my heart and. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited to see now their rematch, which uh, I think is going to be in Wembley Stadium. Oh, uh, you're yes, gonna lock you're gonna lock Leon in. I might, I might have to. <laughs> nice, cool. Well, Sam, thanks a lot for coming on High Stakes. Uh, where where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Sam Schaefer at Schaefer Eleven, um, and on both FanDuel and DraftKings again, same same handle as Schaefer Eleven. Okay, yeah. So SJ for eleven fan. It's just uh, at Sam Schaefer is your at on. Oh Twitter. yeah, at Sam Schaefer is my uh, my Twitter handle. Yeah, and I'm okay. pretty active on Twitter, so definitely hit me up there if you have any questions or want to talk DFS. Love, love doing it. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks again to Sam Schaefer for coming on episode twenty four of High Stakes. Uh, thanks to Mike Lawrence for producing as always, and thank you for watching. I, I hope you have enjoyed this episode uh you'll be able to catch episode 25 of high stakes friday two weeks from now on youtube and wherever you find your podcast Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. 
Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.